it's good to see you here with us this morning in person and online. Um, let me just, uh, we begin, remind you of a couple of things Bill shared. The new members class on the second, if you've been attending the church and it doesn't necessarily mean you've joined or that you want to join, but if you want to come to a meeting, I'll be teaching the class and you have questions, uh, it's a good opportunity for you. I'll be in the room with you and We'll go over some things, and it, there's an opportunity for you to ask questions. So if you have any interest in learning more about the church or think you might want to be a member or, or be a part of Oak Leaf Baptist Church, uh, put it on your schedule to attend that new class meeting. It lasts about 45 minutes, 50 minutes. It lasts longer if you ask a lot of questions, but that's okay. Uh, but you're welcome to come to that. Uh, and, the, and the youth offering for today as I shared with you before, we do have a budget for that, but we do a lot beyond just a budget. If there are families who have more than one young person, it can be very expensive for them to send all of their kids to camp. And so we have scholarships, and we try to pay for those families who can't afford. Or if anyone comes to us and says, we'd love our kids to go to camp, but we can't afford it, well, yes, you can go. We're going to figure out a way for them to go. So that's what the offering today is uh, focused on. So just letting you know if God does lay on your heart to be a part of that, uh, be great. You can minister to some family or a young person who will have the opportunity to go to camp that might not otherwise be able to do that. Uh, take your Bibles this morning. We're going to begin a new series of studies in First John, the end of the New Testament. There, First, Second, Third John. We'll be in First John this morning. I want to begin by doing a little bit of Bible school stuff this morning. We don't typically do this on Sunday mornings as much, but I want to. I want to tell you or help you if you don't know this, or maybe you already do know it, and it'd be a good reminder. The books in the New Testament are divided into four categories, and this will help you understand as we begin to look at 1 John this morning and what category it falls in. The four categories begin with the Gospels. Now, you know the Gospels if you've been around, read the Bible much. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the Gospels. Now, the Gospels are important because they tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus. They tell us about his birth, his incarnation. They tell us about his sinless life, his ministry. It tells us about his death on the cross, his resurrection. The Gospels are, are personal testimonies of men who walked with Jesus. And they tell us about him, and God gave those books to us, and they are very precious. The next category follows the Gospels is uh, history. And there's only one book that is history in the New Testament, and it's the book of Acts. I shared with you last week or the week before, the book of Acts is very important to us because it tells us about the church. In other words, it tells us what the church was in the first century, how it began at Pentecost. It tells us how the church was structured. We learn about pastors and elders and deacons, and we learn about how, the, how God ordained the church to be in the first century, uh, which I might add, in passing, the church of the 21st century would do well to look at the Bible and see the pattern of the church in the first century and how God designed the church to operate. So the book of Acts written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the book of Luke and the Gospels, he wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a historian and Luke was also a physician. So gives you some insight about these books. So the Gospels and then history. And then the largest portion of the New Testament, which we're going to begin a book in that category this morning, uh, is the epistles. Now, the epistles, come, the word epistles come from a Latin word that means letters. The, the men, the, the, the apostles and the various men that God, the Holy Spirit, moved to write these letters, wrote letters to churches. 
wrote them to Christians. If there wasn't a specific church, wrote it to groups of Christians that we may not have always known exactly where they were. It may have just been a general letter, if you will, to these Christians. Now, Paul wrote most of the letters. They're called the, the Pauline epistles. Uh, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and probably Hebrews, debatable who wrote that. Paul wrote all those letters, wrote them to those churches. Now you say, well, yeah, well and then there are the general epistles, which is James and 1st, uh, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude. You say, well, why, do, why is the bulk of the New Testament these epistles? Well, they're very important for us. First of all, they lay out doctrine. The book of Romans is the pinnacle of doctrine in the New Testament. If you want to know what Christian doctrine is all about, read the book of Romans. It, read, it, read it many times. The book of Romans is deep, uh, but it's rich. So doctrine in the book of Romans. And then letters like the first, uh, the Corinth. We know there were four letters to Corinth. We have two of them that God led to be put in the Bible. Those letters deal with real-life Christian issues in the church. You say, how should we deal with issues in church? Read the Bible. Read the letters because Paul dealt with them, okay? Here's the, the man of God, the apostle, writing to these churches about how to deal with everything we see in the 21st century. So these letters are valuable to us. They lay out doctrine. Not only do they lay out doctrine, but they deal with Christian life. They tell us how we should relate to one another and how we should relate to God in the Christian life. So the epistles, both the Pauline epistles, the bulk of them, and the general epistles are valuable to us. Now, this morning, we're beginning in 1 John. So falls under the category of general epistles, but there's no diminishing of value. John wrote to Christians everywhere. And so when we read what John wrote in these epistles, same guy, by the way, who wrote the gospel of John, we read his epistle, it's valuable to us as Christians. And then the last category of those four is what? It's the last book of the Bible. There's only one left. Uh, it's revelation. It's prophecy. So God, at the end of the New Testament, gave us prophecy which as we did our study in Revelation uh, probably uh, eight months, nine months ago, we finished it, it tells us what God's going to do beyond here, meaning when the church age is over, we know there's going to be a rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation, uh, the kingdom of Christ, and then eternity. We, we can know all that. Here, here's the bottom line. That's your Bible lesson for this morning, by the way, before we do the sermon. No one can stand in front of God and go, I didn't know what was going to happen, okay? No one can stand in front of God and go, I don't know what I was supposed to do. No, it's right here. All you do is read it, okay? And God gave it to us in the Gospels, uh, the history of the church, the epistles, the letters, and then Revelation. So let's pick up this morning the epistle of John. First John will begin, be beginning in, in verse 1 in just a moment. John wrote this uh, letter, if you will, for, uh, for three reasons. And he'll tell us, you'll see it in here, but I'll give it to you up front. Number one. False teachers had come into the church in the first century. And these false teachers were attacking the doctrines of the Christian faith. And one of the primary doctrines that these false teachers attacked was the incarnation of Christ, the fact that he is God, and he is, that he left heaven and took on human flesh, and he did, so that he could die on the cross to pay for our sin. If the incarnation is attacked, and, and, and we don't hold the doctrine of of Jesus being 100% God and 100% man at the same time, our salvation falls apart. There is no salvation. He has to be God. He had to come in the form of a man so that he could represent us on the cross and die for us. So these false teachers, Satan obviously, attacking the church in the very beginning, sent in these false teachers to, to confuse people, 
And so John writes these letters to unconfuse them in a, in a non-scholarly way. He wanted to help clarify to them the truth of the, in, uh, of the incarnation of Christ and the truth of that doctrine. Secondly, the result of understanding good doctrine, the result of understanding God's word, and the result of growing spiritually is to have fellowship. Now, fellowship's important. And by the way, for those who are watching online, I'm not going to pick on you. But I saw 15,000 people in the Coliseum down there last night watching uh, fighting. If 15,000 people can go watch MMA, which I'm okay with, you could come to church. Brotherly fellowship, all right? When you know God and you know his word and you learn and you grow in spiritual maturity, the fellowship with one another becomes more precious and it's valuable because we hold one another accountable. And you do act like the people you hang around with. So you should hang around with people who will challenge you to be better in walking with Jesus than you are today. And that's why we do that in a body of believers. That's why God gave us a church. But more importantly than that, when we have good doctrine and we understand God's word, our fellowship with God is better. Why? Because we understand what we're supposed to do. And then we willingly ask God to help us do it. Because you know we can't live the Christian life in the flesh. So we say to God, God, I understand what you're saying, and I really want to do that, so help me do it. And then God does help us do it. The Holy Spirit helps us do it. So he contended with the false teachers. He helped them understand their fellowship in Christ. And then finally, when all of those things are fixed, when we understand what God says, we want to do what God says, and our fellowship with one another is good, and our fellowship with God is good, Christian joy is in its fullness. Meaning we live the Christian life and we walk with God in joy. You say, well, life is hard. Christian joy has nothing to do with life circumstances because our joy in Jesus Christ is because of him, not the world. And we know, don't we? We know we're strangers here. This is not our home. As children of God, we're just passing through. See, God's already got a place for us uh, with him in the New Jerusalem, so we'll get there one day. Now listen, John wrote these things so that these Christians would not be discouraged and that their fellowship would be full. Now, we do the same today. We share the gospel with lost men and women because we want them to get saved. Lost men and women don't understand doctrine. Lost men and women don't understand fellowship with God or the church. Lost men and women don't understand joy. But when we share the gospel with them and they understand that they're lost and they come to Jesus and say, God, I need to be saved, and they pray and confess their sins, and Jesus Christ makes them a new creation on the inside, gives them a new heart, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in them, then they can begin to understand the truth of God's word, get the right worldview, understand fellowship in the body of believers, understand fellowship in a walk with God, and then understand the joy of God. But in the church, in the church among saved people, which is who John's writing to here, we do the same thing he's talking about right here. In this church, which is the only one I have any control over, man, we focus on teaching the Bible. That's what we're doing right now. You say, Pastor, why do you spend so much time on one verse? Because I haven't preached the entire messages out of one verse before. Why? Because it's rich and it's deep and it has stuff we need to understand. Why do we do that? Because the more you know about God's word and the more I understand about God's word, the closer my fellowship can be with God and with you and my joy is more full, and it makes me a better husband, makes me a better dad, makes me a better Christian all the way around, a better citizen. You see, 
The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it through those men. It's written from Him. And it's profitable for, listen, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Why wouldn't you want to know God's Word? And why wouldn't you want to understand it? So John writes to these Christians to help these things. Now let's look at verses 1 through 4 very quickly. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life was manifested, means revealed, showed to us. And we have seen it and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may... Uh, you also may fellowship with us, have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, the very first thing John does in verse 1 is uh, confront the false teachers. I mean, the first thing out of the chute, he knows what the problem is. And so he confronts them. He says, here's the truth about Jesus, that which was from the beginning. Here's the truth about Jesus and his deity and his incarnation. John wanted to confront those teachers right away. We, we really need to do the same today. Not in, a, not in a demeaning way or an unkind way or in an unloving way, but when someone speaks error, we have to be bold enough to say that's not exactly true. And we have to be the voice of truth. Now, the world hates that. The world hates that. I've told you the story before. I was at a ball game one time, Little League, with my, with my older son, and some people, false teachers were there telling people stuff in the stands is not true. And they were telling them how they could get to heaven by doing A, B, C, D, E, and they were telling them they were to be their church or they couldn't get in heaven. And I listened to it for about 10 minutes trying to uh, eat my sunflower seeds and drink my Diet Coke and not, not get in a confrontation in the, in the Little League baseball park. But pretty soon I couldn't stand it anymore. And I turned around, the lady they were talking to, I looked at her and I said, ma'am, what they're telling you isn't true. And then it went downhill from there. <laughs> but John was doing the same thing. John, John said, look, those, those teachers that are in amongst you telling you that the incarnation of Christ is wrong, you can't listen to them. Now, here's what the false teachers said. They said, God, God would never condescend to take on human flesh. That's what they taught. Well, no, he did condescend to take on human flesh. It's the only way we could be saved. And they said, they said Jesus was just the spirit until time to be crucified. And then in the moment, something happened there, mystical, and he really came down and died. And then it, that's, there's, a, there's a technical term for that called hogwash. That's not, that's not true, okay? The Bible, and that was a nice technical term. The, the Bible says that Jesus left heaven and was born of the Virgin Mary and had a human body. And that's what John's saying here. He said, let me tell you about him who was from the beginning. Now, now, I like what John says here. Here's the truth, and it's about him who was from the beginning. Now, sometimes people argue, well, you know, what's John saying in the beginning? Okay, here's the answer to that. What beginning? It doesn't matter. Pick one. Because wherever you put your marker down for a beginning, Jesus is already standing there. He's the God of eternity. He's forever. He's did. He's the God of creation. So if you want to say the beginning of the church, Jesus was certainly there, wasn't he? Just died on the cross, sent back to heaven. He was there. You want to say the beginning of, of, of creation? Well, he stepped out of eternity and spoke, and everything came into existence. So he was there. 
You want to go back in the human brain as far as we can conceive of time and put a peg down, God will meet you there. So it doesn't matter what beginning. What John says is, listen, in the beginning, from the beginning, was this Jesus Christ who is God. And so he's going to talk about all that he saw in his incarnation. This eternal God stepped out of heaven and became a man, a sinless man, so he could hang on a cross and die for sinful men and women like you and me. Now, John's confirmation is given with uh, four increasingly convincing elements. First of all, he said in verse 1, he said, we have heard him. See it? In other words, myself and the other apostles and disciples, we heard him. We listened to him. Now, what's John saying? Well, I don't know about you, but as a Christian, as a, as a person who's been saved, when I listen to sermons on my radio in my car, which I, I'm off to do, and I, or I read the Bible, <clears throat> God's word is continually speaking to me. Doesn't it do that? I mean, it is continually convicting me or instructing me, or I'll hear, I'll hear a pastor say something, I'll say, man, that's, that's good. That's exactly right. That's what God said. And it blesses me. You know what John's saying? He's saying, man, we listen to Jesus teach, and he's God. We listen to him teach, and his words are different. We listen to him teach in a physical uh, flesh and blood and bone body, and he taught the truth. And so he said, look, the evidence that Jesus was incarnate, that he's God in the flesh, is in his teaching. We heard him. But if that isn't enough, he said, not only did we hear him, he said, we, uh, we've seen him. We saw him. He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't this ethereal thing. We, we saw him with our eyes. He, he's a person. Flesh and blood, we, we saw him. We saw him do things. We saw him perform miracles. We saw him heal people. We saw him minister to those in need. He's a, he's a real person. And then John said, not only did we hear him and did we see him, but he said we, we looked on him. Now, in the Greek, that's a different word from see. It is a word that, that means beyond just looking. See, we can see something. I can, I can see, but then I can take time to consider what I'm seeing. And it means to evaluate it. It means to, it means to study it, to examine it. It means to deliberate in your mind over what you're seeing and come to a conclusion. John said, myself and the other apostles and the men who walk with Jesus, we watched him and we considered him. And we evaluated him, and we deliberated in our minds about who he is and what conclusion did they come to, that he is the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus asked them one time, who do men say I am? And Peter, speaking for the group, said, well, they think you're all kinds of people, Elijah and prophet and whatnot. And Jesus said, yeah, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, well, that's easy. We've already deliberated. We've already watched you. We've looked at you. We've considered you. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the promised one. You're the eternal God. And, and Jesus looked at Peter and said, yeah, you got a right answer, but you didn't get it on your own. God the Father gave it to you, okay? But their own testimony, they evaluated, they looked at Jesus, and they came to the conclusion of who he was in the flesh, incarnate, really. And then finally, to sum it all up, John said, we heard him, we, we, we saw him, and then we considered him, we looked at him. And then if you want to know for sure that he's flesh and blood, we touched him. We, we handled him. John's the one who laid on his breast at the Last Supper. John, John could tell you, no, he's real. He's real flesh and blood. We saw him. John could say, I saw him bleed hanging on the cross. 
I saw him. He had blood. John could give testimony. We touched him. We handled him. Can I say to you today, as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, we have a testimony like John. Now, not like John, I can't say that I have heard Jesus audibly speak to me. I've not seen him in his resurrection body yet. I'm going to one day. I've not been able to, to look at him with my eyes and evaluate him like John did, and I've not been able to touch him although that is a possibility because after his resurrection, he said to doubting Thomas, come touch me and see that I'm real. Touch the wounds in my side. And, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God, he believed. But we do have a testimony of the veracity of who Jesus Christ is. And I don't need those things to know that he's real and you don't either. You see, because in the day that I heard the gospel and, and, and this this pain was in my heart and I understood that I needed to be saved only God could create that that's not an emotion that's not an emotional response and the lady that shared the gospel with me certainly didn't work me up into an emotional frenzy she just looked at me and said you got sin yes ma'am she goes Jesus will forgive your sin you want to get saved and go to heaven I thought well the alternative of going to hell doesn't sound good I thought yeah I said, so, listen, I knew nothing about the Bible. I said, what do you got to do? I thought she was going to tell me something religious, you know. Well, you got to you know, come to church and get the little star for Sunday school. She goes, no, you got to confess your sin to God and put your faith in Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive you, and he'll save you. Is that all? She goes, yeah, that's it. So I'm in front of all them kids in the classroom, bowed my head and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know it, and I don't know much, but I want to be saved, forgive my sin. And God saved me that day. He said, how do you know God saved you that day? Man, because from that day, the whole world looked different. I mean, the whole world looked different. I started reading the Bible. I never read the Bible before. I, had a, I wanted to understand it, so I started reading the Bible. Listen, I, what I'm saying is you have a testimony. You have a testimony like John to tell people about the reality of Jesus. Now, whether they believe you or not ain't, ain't your business. It isn't up to you to make them believe you. But you have a testimony. You can tell them about how you got saved. You can tell them what Jesus did for you because that's personal, and they can't argue with that. Then you can share with them how to be saved. You can say, hey, man, you can be saved too. You can trust Jesus and come to know Christ. No guarantee they're going to listen to you. No guarantee they're going to do that. But you have a testimony. You can share what God's done for you. You can share what God's done in your life. Has God ever done anything special in your life? Have you ever prayed for something and boom, like, like, you know, God just answers your prayer? I had a guy say to me in the Navy one time, he said, oh, you know, that's just coincidence. I said, man, listen, you can call it coincidence if you want to, but in my life, I said to God, God, you know, I'd really like the things to go this way. And guess how they went? Perfectly, just like I asked. You say, oh, well, that's coincidence. Well, it ain't coincidence when God keeps doing it, Right? You have a testimony about what God's done in your life, about your salvation, about the work God's done in your life, the evidence of God's work in your life, and you have the gospel that you can share. What I'm saying is we should be like John. We should be testifying to the reality of who God is in a world who doesn't know God, in a world that doesn't know God. So John uh, told him it's real. The incarnation is real, and you can trust him. Now look at verses 3 and 4 very quickly. 
he continues with this. Here's, the, here's what he wants for them in understanding the incarnation of Christ. In verse 3, he said, That which we've seen and heard, we declare to you. Now, we're t I'm telling you about it to these Christians. Now, remember, he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to lost people. He said, I'm writing to you that you may have fellowship with us. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The first thing John said is he said, man, I, want, I don't want you to be deceived by these false teachers because I want your fellowship to be full. And if you, if you were to go over to chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, there's proof that he's writing to Christians, which you can look at that when you get home. He's not trying to convince these Christians to get saved because they're already saved. What he's trying to do is convince them to not get off track, to not follow these false teachers, to stay, to stay in the doctrine that's been laid down by the apostles so that their fellowship can be full. Now, let me tell you why fullness of fellowship is important. Listen very carefully here. Christians who save people now, not lost people, save people who get led astray, and who aren't founded in the Word of God, and who aren't founded on good doctrine, some things begin to happen in their life. Their spiritual growth gets stunted. They don't, they don't grow in their, in their faith very much. They're not very strong in their faith. And when we get weak in our faith, because we're not spending time in God's Word, and because we're not spending time fellowshipping with God, then sin has the ability to creep into our lives. And an apathy comes into our lives. And we're not living for God. And, and, and the love of many begins to grow cold. And do we not see that in society today? So Christians, John's saying here, who aren't staying in God's word begin to lose the fervor of their faith and they get led astray. And the fellowship in the church gets broken. They stop coming to church. They stop fellowshipping with other Christians. And most importantly, they stop fellowshipping with God. They don't pray. Now let me, let me make sure we understand something clearly here. A saved person can never, ever be unsaved again. Everybody follow me. A person who has genuinely understood their lostness and, and by faith as Jesus saved them can never be unsaved. But relationship and fellowship are two different things. Our relationship with God is secure in Jesus Christ and we are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody follow me. But our fellowship, our walk, our 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 Intimacy with God can be hindered by sin and can hurt us. And our, our fellowship with one another can be lost. And Christians who don't spend enough time in God's word and spend enough time understanding what it says and applying it to their lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to draw them to obedience are susceptible to habits of sin and disobedience to God. And then eventually, again, falling out of church Losing ministry opportunities, not being able to serve, fellowship, and then some of the most miserable people I've ever seen on the face of the planet are Christians who are out of fellowship with God because there's no joy. There's no joy. The Holy Spirit's convicting them all the time. They're not where they need to be, and they know it, and it hurts them, and, and there's no joy. So what John's saying to them is, look, I don't want you to be out of fellowship with one another. I don't want you to be out of fellowship with God, and I don't want your joy to be lost. In the local church today, I don't know how long you've been in church or been saved. I've been saved a long time, since I was 11. And I've seen Christians who are meaner than snakes. I mean, they're just mean. Why do you think that is? One, they're not saved, maybe. 
But if they are saved, their fellowship isn't right. Their fellowship with God isn't right. And the reason I know their fellowship with God isn't right is their fellowship with everybody around them isn't right. Often including their spouse. You see how important, how important doctrine is and how important the word of God is and how important understanding our relationship to God and that our fellowship be right with him? You say, well, pastor, how do, I, how do I make sure I have this fellowship with God and with one another? Well, it starts with confessing known sin in our life. God, I know I'm off the reservation in this area of my life, and I'm sorry, and I want to turn away from it. And we all struggle. We all have weaknesses. And then we say to God, Lord, I want to, I want to understand your word, and you read it. Now, I could probably embarrass people. That I could have you raise your hand if you read your Bible every day. And I have a sneaking suspicion, just be a few hands. I don't know, maybe not. Y'all are pretty studious, but you ought to read your Bible every day. So well, that's kind of legalistic, isn't it? Mm, no. The right thing's always the right thing to do. You can call it whatever you want. You ought to read the Bible every day. You say, why should I read it every day? Because you need it. I need it. As you read God's word, what does it do? It confirms the truth to your heart. God speaks to you, convicts you. You ought, to, you ought to spend time in prayer every day. So what does that do for me? Fellowship with God. Can't talk to somebody and not have fellowship with them, right? Again, I could say, how many of y'all pray every day? Hand, all the hands might not go up. You say, I pray when I'm on Blanding. Okay, well, that don't count. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know. Do you, do you spend time praying. I, listen, I have a time every morning when I pray. I have things that I pray over, and I'm, I'm so OCD about it, I pray in the same order all the time. You know, God, God in heaven knows, okay, he's going to pray over this. Then he's going to pray for that. So God knows what I'm going to pray for before I get there. Not because he's omniscient, but because I do the same thing every day. But I do. I pray. I pray. You know, Brandon's back there right now. I had heart surgery two weeks ago, and, and we've been praying for him like crazy. And there he is. He's sitting back there. So there's the answer prayer right there. I pray for him. I pray for him every day. I pray for people that are sick. I pray. If you, if you say to me, Pastor, pray, and I pray. Now, what does that do? Well, it's pretty good for you because I'm asking God to help you, all right? But it's, it's even better for me. You know why? Because I'm talking to God, and I'm having fellowship with God. So what I'm saying is what John said here. John said, look, I don't want you to be led astray by these false teachers. I want you to have fellowship with God. And I want you to have fellowship with us. And I want you to have fellowship with one another. Now, when people get into error and they get into sin, they lose fellowship with the church. A lot of times when Christians start falling out of church, and as a pastor, I see it. They're here, and then they're here less, and then they're not here. And then pretty soon the FBI can't find them. So, I mean, you're, you know, it's like they're here, they're a little bit less, then they're gone. You say, what happened? They fell out of fellowship. And probably started with getting out of fellowship with God. Okay? And then they fall out of fellowship with the church. That's the worst thing you can do. I mean, that's, that's, that's absolutely terrible. You say, man, I want my kids to grow up and be right. Set the example. Be, be, hey, you can tell them all you want, but they better see it in your life. Set the example. Be in fellowship with God. Be in fellowship with us. Now, finally, John said, look, what does this fellowship bring and what does this good doctrine bring? Well, it brings joy. Look at verse 4 and we'll finish. 
He said, I have no greater joy. Uh, well, he said, I want you to have joy, right, at the end of verse 4. But it also means his joy. Look at, look at well, chapter 3 John, verse 4. doesn't have a chapter. He said, I have no greater joy than that to hear that my children walk in truth. Here's what John said. He said, I want you to have joy. And he said, I want you to know that my joy is connected to your joy. He said, when I see you as spiritual children walking with God, he said, then my joy is full. And the last thing I would say is this. I would say that's the heartbeat of every pastor in the world who, who really loves Jesus and wants to teach his word. My joy is never more full than when I see you growing in faith in Jesus Christ. My joy is never more full than when I see you and us having fellowship in Jesus and enjoying Jesus and enjoying fellowship with one another. That makes my heart full. Conversely, nothing hurts a pastor's heart more than to see a church in disarray or someone who's out of fellowship or someone who's causing problems because that's hurtful. So John said, my joy is full when your joy is full. He said, well, what's all this about this morning? What should we take away? Well, let me give you two things real quick. Number one, if you're watching online or you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you have no relationship with God. You're separated from him because of your sin. Sin separates us from God. Jesus Christ came in flesh, flesh and blood, in a human body, so he could die on the cross and pay the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. He died, a literal death, put in the grave, came back three days later, rose from the grave. If you've never been saved, you need to be saved. You say, well, is this some kind of religious thing? No, it doesn't have anything to do with religion. It has to do with a personal relationship with the God who loves you. If you need Jesus, would you pray and ask him to save you today? If you're watching online, watching the video sometime later, would you confess your sin and ask God to save you? I can testify to you, as John did here, Jesus will save you if you ask him. I can tell you Jesus will change your life if you ask him and you ask him and you let him. He can change your life. I've seen him do it. I've experienced it. I've watched him do it in other people's lives. Trust Jesus, he'll save you. You say, well, should I trust Jesus? Well, he'll forgive your sin. Oh, and there's this really good benefit. You get to go to heaven when you die. You get to go to New Jerusalem and live with him forever. Now listen, nobody likes to talk about this. Nobody likes, you know, Baptist preachers get a bad rap. There is a place called hell, and it's a place of punishment. And it's a place of punishment to punish sin. Hey, here's the good news. God didn't create hell for people. The demons, the, the, the fallen angels are supposed to go to hell. You say, why do people go to hell? Because they reject Jesus because they won't accept him and let him forgive their sin. That's foolish. Come to Jesus. Some people won't get saved and say, well, if I, if I accept Jesus, i got to give all this stuff up. I'm going to pull the curtain back. You ready? If you'll come to Jesus and be willing to give that stuff up, God will take them away from you. You won't want them anymore. You say, well, really, will that happen? Absolutely. If you come to Jesus and ask him to save you and tell him, God, I really want to give up all this, this stuff you said not to do, and I want to be obedient, and you trust Jesus by faith, you're willing to humble yourself, God will make you what he wants you to be. Okay? Number two, if you're not saved, you'll get saved. Number two, if you are saved, your relationship with God is immutable. It can never be undone because God gave it to you. However, your fellowship may not be all that you want it to be. You might be struggling in the Christian life. Say, man, you know, my Christian life just isn't all it should be. Here it is. You ready? Confess all known sin in your life, and you know if you've got sin or not. Nobody needs to tell you. Because the Holy Spirit's telling you, trust me. Confess your sin, 
and then get in God's Word. Be faithful in the fellowship and begin to grow spiritually. And you know what will happen? You'll discover the joy of being a child of God. Even when difficult things come in your life, you'll understand, listen, God's in control, and I trust him. That's what the Christian life's all about. If you need to do either one of those today, would you do it? Would you trust Jesus to save you? Or if your fellowship's not what it ought to be, would you get with him today? Get right with God. Ask him to make you all he wants you to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for the encouraging word from 1 John. Thank you, God, that you want us to be and have this close fellowship with you. And Father, really, if there's a broken fellowship there, it's our fault, God, because you never walk away. You're always where you've been, Lord. And we are the ones who go out into the world and uh, allow sin to come between us and you, Lord, and allow things to come between us and your word and praying. God, I pray for your people this morning, Lord, that we examine our own hearts and lives and that we be where we're supposed to be in fellowship with you and fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. God, maybe there's somebody here this morning who's never really heard the gospel, but Lord, you, you are willing to save all who will ask. God, you desire to save all who will ask. Maybe there's someone right now under the hearing of your word online in their living room, Lord, maybe sitting on their couch. And God, right now, they need to bow their head and say, Lord, I know I'm not saved and I want to be. I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. God, forgive me. With all the faith I have, I ask you to save me. God, you'll save me. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If I can pray with you or help you in any way, I'll be down front as we sing a verse of song. Come.